This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast, podcast episode number 89, if you're keeping score. And uh, it is brought to us by Bet Rivers, of course. We're doing this on Thursday, June 15th. Get your Bet Rivers uh, app downloaded because so the story is right now the U.S. Open's coming up. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but you can get some really good bets. I love. The one to five bets. I mean, who could tell who's going to win the U.S. Open? You can never tell. It's really a crapshoot, right? So uh, you hedge your bets. You go win, play, show, and, and beyond. You go to one to five, and you got a shot. A shot. Now you're not going to get the, the the top odds, but still, you're going to cash a ticket if you feel there's a guy's going to finish in the top five, and there's a lot of guys worthy of that. So that's how I'm hedging my bets. We'll talk about that a little later. We'll talk some Sixers in a little bit with Derek Bodner, who's been covering the Sixers for a long time, formerly the Athletic. And uh, knows everything. We got into a little Twitter beef, not not beef, but a discussion yesterday about what the Sixers should do. And it's his mindset that the Sixers should really punt next year. If they don't have Harden back, punt and just uh, absorb Tobias's contract until it's gone. And then you can start. In other words, he's asking for a gap year, which I challenge. So we'll talk to Derek Bonder in a second. But let's start out what we always start out with on the Mike Masnelli podcast, the current. And the current is the Phillies. They've now won two in Arizona. As they win last night in 10 innings, they almost blew it. They had a 3-0 lead behind Ranger Suarez, and they had to win it 4-3 in 10 innings on a sacrifice fly by Castellanos. Uh, and the uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks made a, a, a terrible error in that where they got a pop fly they collided on, though it set up the Phillies winning inning. Uh, they're now two in back of the Giants in the wild card. They still were two. Giants won last night, so they're still two back. And they are now, get the drum roll, you get the yay machine out, 34 and 34. They are 500. Yay! All right. Now, that's a good start, right? Once you get to 500, you can concentrate on getting above 500, and you move. You make a move. Ranger Suarez, real good. He's been good lately. Seven scoreless last night. He about four hits. Struck out seven. So they bring in Dominguez in the eighth, and he gets cuffed. Christian Walker, the kid from Kennedy Kendrick, with a three-run blast for the Diamondbacks to tie it. And, of course, they win it in the 10th when they get the phantom runner and then the, the pop fly that they collide on, gets a guy to third, Castellanos, 
gets the sacrifice fly, and Alvarado gets the Diamondbacks out in the bottom of the ninth. All right, so that's all good for the Phillies. Two out of three against a really hot Arizona team on the road is pretty good, and now they go to Oakland for three. Now, this normally will look like a bop, except the Oakland A's have gotten a resurgence a little bit. They've won seven of their last ten, and so let's stay with the A's theme because the A's are making news not only for the seven to ten, but what their fans staged Tuesday night. Two nights ago, uh, the uh, Oakland Athletic fans, who are uh, battered and bruised by the ownership out of there, they're trying to move it out of that city, and some fans are really disappointed with that because, let's face it, the Oakland A's have a rich tradition. It goes way back to the Philadelphia A's, but they still, as Oakland, uh, they they won a lot of games. Uh, so let, let's look at this. They staged, the fans staged a reverse boycott, which is don't, not show up show up and show show the owner that you really care that you are a good fan base so all right twenty seven thousand plus showed up that's a pretty good crowd for that coliseum but you know it's not sold out but they're wearing their t-shirts and they were making a stand saying the ownership we will come if you put a god's damn good team on the field for crying out loud you sell all these great players you have no payroll at all. If you forged a good team, you're really invested in the Oakland A's, well, come. It's not the fan base is the problem. It's your damn ownership that's the problem for being cheap. And to that, they, they have a really good case. So uh, here's the other thing. Here's the other side of that. The owner goes, I got an archaic stadium. I can't get revenue out of the stadium. I can't put the suites in like all these new stadiums. I need a new stadium. And the city is bucking against that. What do you want me to do? So I was to make a deal with Las Vegas. They want it. They got their money they're going to pour in, new stadium, the whole bit. So it's a pull and poke here for the fan base versus the ownership. Both sides have a really good point. So uh, let's let's just say this here. Um, The fans in Oakland would like this owner to sell the team because the new owner flushed with cash says, I don't really need the stadium right away. I'll believe in the fan base. I believe in the city as a baseball city. We'll eventually get the stadium, but I'm going to pour more money into the franchise because as an owner, I have more money and that's what the fans want. They want this owner to sell, but this owner goes, bump you. I got an asset. I'll move to Las Vegas where I'm going to get all kinds of riches. So what's probably going to happen is that they're probably going to move to Vegas once they pass that stadium resolution. They got the resolution out there. It hasn't quite been passed yet as they're looking for more funding. The city commits to X amount of money, and then they have to get other funding. So that still is on hold. But I got to thinking uh, about the – the Oakland A's, because frankly, uh, I respect the Oakland A's and I've been a longtime fan of the Oakland A's, which means I'm a longtime fan of their fan base and they get kicked in the balls. And I, I hate when a fan base gets kicked in the balls. Just imagine if it was your city. Let's just take Pittsburgh, right? Pittsburgh is a city that probably should move. But the fan base is so strong that you can't move uh, out of that, a northeast corridor city. They would rebel. So they got their new stadium and people still aren't coming, even though they're a decent team right now. So I have uh, a lot of empathy for a fan base that's getting kicked around. But also because when I was a little Mikey Miss, my second favorite team, I was always a Philly fan, obviously, but my second favorite team, I was obsessed with the Oakland A's. 
I was obsessed with the, the swashbuckling style, the uniforms. When Reggie Jackson first came up, he was my favorite player. This guy waved a magic wand. He was sleek. He was fast. He was like uh, the, the most athletic baseball player I'd ever seen. I loved that team. And so they won with that team. And, and I, they won three state straight World Series with that team. So uh, I've always had an affection uh, for the Oakland A's. And then there was that resurgence. In 2000, with the Giambis of the world, and the Isringhausens, and Johnny Damons, and the Mikel Tejadas, and all that great pitching staff they had back then. So I started thinking uh, nostalgically about the Oakland A's last night, Darren. And I came up with my all-Oakland A's team in my lifetime. These are the guys that I thought were the best in my lifetime. Now, I can go back to the 70s and pick every one of those guys because I love them. But I, I, had, I had to really defer because there's some obvious ones that you have to put uh, into this team. So here's what I have. and it's, it's I'm going by position now. So a great player is going to get nosed out. And you tell me if you agree or not. So at first base, I had to go with Mark McGuire. I had to go with the Bash brothers on this team. And that takes out Jason Giambi, who I will put on the shelf for the time being, and maybe he's the DH. But I, I got to go McGuire first base. Second base, I got nobody. I couldn't think of a second baseman. I'm going, okay, I'll take the guy who was in Moneyball. He appeared, uh, the back of his jersey appeared for like three seconds. Mark Ellis was their second base. was a pretty good second baseman on that team. But basically, I'll leave that one blank. The shortstop is Miguel Tejada nosing out Burt campy campanaris from way back in the day the campy used to steal a lot of bases all right at third base now you got sal bando from back in the day with those teams that won three straight you got carney lansford who was a good hitter but the guy at third base you gotta go chavi eric chavez gets the third base slot the catcher Nobody knows about this guy, but he was a pretty solid player in the league for a long time for the Oakland A's. The catcher is Terry Steinbach. Pretty good offensive player. Had like a 280 career average. Hit a lot of home runs. Terry Steinbach's the catcher. And now in the outfield. Oh, my. Reggie Reggie. Ricky Ricky. And Jose Canseco, the other bash brother. Now, that nose is out. One of my favorite players in the 70s, Joe Rudy. Uh, so we'll put him on the shelf maybe for a DH with Jambi as well. Now let's get to the pitching staff. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? Catfish Hunter, Vita Blue. One, two out of the shoot. Then I go Smoke Stewart, Huddy, and Barry Zito nosing out Bob Welch. My relief pitchers are Dennis Eckersley and Raleigh Fingers. TKO, end of story. Stop the presses. That's my Oakland A's team of all time. What do you think, Darren? That's the that might be the greatest assembled baseball team in the history of the game. If you can, if you if you could take, like, I'm sure the Yankees would, would be there to, to fight you on this, but I don't know you that you could find another all time team like that Oakland. Team. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, it, listen, Charlie Finley was a cheapskate, just like this owner. Like it never it never stops in Oakland. There's always a cheapskate owner. You're the guy in Moneyball was cheap that had to fight him every step of the way. Charlie Finley sold players all the time. Uh, it, it, it was unbelievable how, what the city has gone through with this fan base, how they get tortured. So I have a lot of empathy for him. They're a really good team. You mentioned Chavi at third. One of the best lines in Moneyball is, come on, Chavi, you couldn't hit that stuff last night with a boat paddle. You got to see more pitches, Chavi. Uh, all right, so there you go. That's my Oakland A's uh, for today uh, based on what's going on in Oakland these days as the Phils get ready to play three games uh, in Oakland. Uh, all right, let, let's touch on uh, some football issues right now. Uh, of course, the we won't see the Eagles for a really long time until training camp. 
Uh, but but my producer Darren is really bugged by uh, by this uh, development in football where the running back is being devalued. Now the fact of the matter is the running back has always been devalued. But you now have these recent cases where Saquon's got to uh, he's got to squeeze them for, to get what he's worth. Dalvin Cook was released. You got Josh Jacobs in, in, in Oakland who's got to squeeze out some money. Uh, so uh, uh, and Jonathan Taylor also he's in the last year of a rookie contract and he wants a contract. He had a bad year last year. He had a great year the year before, eighteen hundred eleven yards, but he was injured last year. So uh, the, the Colts are reluctant to commit to a running back. And, and here's the reality of a running back: they get beat up. They have a short shelf life in the NFL. We've always known that. So what? What is a team? How is a team supposed to handle this? And why does this bug you, Darren? It doesn't necessarily bug me per se. Like it's not it doesn't bug me that the position's devalued. It's just to me the NFL is cyclical. Like it's a very pass happy. Like running backs aren't even used that much anymore. Like they, it's not like they're 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 not used. They're used more in the passing game than they are between the tackles. But, like, the game is cyclical. It's going to come back to that. You know, it got away from tough defense. You're starting to see good defense come back into the league and teams uh, pay more attention to their front seven. And you're going to get that with running back, too. It's going to come back to a point where teams are going to be more – are built better to run the ball. The Eagles are built better to run the ball. Yeah, I disagree. I disagree with that. I think the game has involved way past that. Now, running back's use is, yes – you need a running back to carry the football. I get it. And now I know all these people scream, you got to run the ball more. It, it is a passing lane. It's never going to change. It's the quickest way to the goal line, frankly. Uh, so what they look for in a running back is somebody who can come out of the backfield and catch the ball. The Derrick Henrys of the world have been devalued. Uh, but guys that can catch the ball out of the backfield are not devalued. But let's face it. The running back position is just one of those positions. They're, they're like a milking cow. You get as much milk as you can out of them, and then you discard them for dog food. That's what they are in this league. They have a short shelf life. They've always had a short shelf life. And I think Andy Reid was the guy who devalued this in the year 2000 when he goes, okay, I can use a running back. Why don't you a guy like Brian Westbrook who can carry the ball but also take it out of the backfield? And that's what the successful teams do right now. So, uh, you know, good luck to those guys trying to yeah, Saquon's my man. But I got to be honest with you, a guy who's been injured like that, I can't commit that kind of big dollars to. It's... <laughs> I feel bad for the guy. I feel bad for all these running backs, but that's what it is. If you grow up and you're a kid, be a quarterback, for Christ's sake. Be a cornerback. Be a wide receiver. As a wide receiver, you can be a diva and a pain in the ass the whole time, and you're still going to get your money, and you don't get hit. If you're a running back, you, you're, you're going to get churned up. So that's what I would suggest parents. Let them play football. Let them be a quarterback. <laughs> don't move them to running back position. All right, let's touch on a little basketball now as we welcome in our next guest. So uh, as an intro, uh, James Harden and the Sixers uh, are still in, in flux. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, my position on this is that James Harden played a bad card here. I think James Harden thought there was going to be a lot of action for him with a, with a max contract. And I don't think it's playing out that well in Houston. I thought he could get that in Houston and force the Sixers to do something. I don't think that's working out. But for more insight, let's get to our next guest. It's the Mike Yusinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, let's 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 uh, go to our next guest. He'll give us a lot more insight on the 76ers right now. He's been covering the Sixers for a really long time, formerly The Athletic, and uh, and, and now is, is still covering the, the Sixers for various uh, media uh, outlets. Uh, his name is Derek Bonner. Hello, Derek. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. 
Um, okay, so we were going back and forth on Twitter a little bit yesterday. We, so you, you put out something, so I want to get into that discussion right away. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was your position as we talk about James Harden. If they lose Harden, you think the Sixers would be better off just kind of playing out that season until they can get rid of Tobias Harris's contract? Is Am I reading you correctly? Well, I think what I was getting at was that I would rather play out the season than pursue Bradley Beal. Um, and a lot of that comes down to my opinion of Bradley Beal and that contract and how that will box you in. It's not so much that I want them to have, I think the way I phrased it was a gap year. That's not what I think is the best course of action. It's just of those two, you know, if I'm going to say you can eat dog shit or McDonald's, I prefer, prefer McDonald's. That doesn't mean I would choose McDonald's over something else. It just means between those two options. So it's more like okay. I, I view Bradley Beal as such a, a, a move that will box you in so much that I would rather do nothing than do that trade. Uh, okay, so so where where do you think they are on Harden right now? Let, let me throw a theory out there. Harden thought maybe there, there might be a little bidding war coming on, and Houston was willing to pony up the max, and uh, the Sixers then would have to react to it. But I'm not sensing that's happening right now. Where do you think that stands? Yeah, I, I look, I think, I think Harden, the situation is pretty simple. I think he's going to go to whichever team offers him the most money. You know, I don't necessarily mean that to suggest that he only cares about money, but I think he probably sees positives with both the Sixers and the Rockets, the Sixers because it's their best chance to compete or his best chance to compete for a title, the Rockets because he can go home, his family's there, his friends there, his nightlife's there. Uh, He has a chance to maybe build the team more around him. So I think he sees opportunity in both uh, and he will go to whichever opportunity gives him the most money. So I think what you're seeing now is him trying to, like you said, run up that bidding war between them. Do I think it's getting to where he necessarily thought it would? No. Like a couple months ago, you were hearing people say like, oh, well, the Sixers can offer 208 over four years and the Rockets only 200, but there's income tax and yada, yada, yada. I don't think we're getting anywhere near four years, $208 million. So you don't really have to worry about that. Uh, Will that be successful in running them up a little bit? Yeah. I mean, he might get, you know, the Sixers to go up a little bit because of Houston's interest. I do think the Sixers are probably the front runner right now. Uh, but I don't think it's a sure thing. Like, I think it might be a 60, 40 type situation, but I think there's, I think the Sixers certainly have interest in bringing him back. It just won't be at that max price. All right. Talking to Derek Bonner, he, of course, covering the Sixers for the daily com. And now Derek, uh, let's, let's play with a couple scenarios here. Cause so what, first of all, what would it take to get Beal? I mean, I think it would, you know, the Tobias Harris, first of all, salary matching. Uh, might the Sixers can trade like one draft pick, one first round draft pick, and I think it's 2029. So I think you could include that maybe a swap, um, but I don't think it's going to take much more than that. I think Bradley Beal's value is real low around the league. His contract, which has four years and $207 million left, along with a no trade clause, which that no trade carries over to the new team. So if he gets to Philly and says, I don't want to be traded, the Sixers can't trade him. And there's a 15% trade kicker. And you combine all of that along with the new salary cap and what's being called a double apron and how limiting that can be, you're not they're not going to get very much value for him in large part because he can dictate where he goes. So I don't think it's going to take much, but that contract, I think, and especially with the new CBA changes that take effect or start taking effect at least this year, they're so limiting. Uh, and he's been you know down the last two years, missed, I think, 40 out of uh, or uh, about half of his games. I don't know exactly what number per year. And he just hasn't been as good. And you combine that with the contract, and that's why I'm I'm pretty hard out on Bradley Beal. Okay, so um, it, it would take a commitment from um, 
But Washington to want to take Tobias Harris and get that contract off their books and kind of punt next season, uh, which other teams like Tobias would have to be traded to other team like Damian Lillard's in the picture. Same thing would have to happen. Does Tobias Harris have any appeal that way? Just getting off of it's it's a get off the contract. It's a final year of his contract. So rather than taking back a bad salary, because like I said, I think bad salaries are going to be much more restrictive in this new CBA. Uh, and I think teams are cognizant of that. And Beal's owed a lot of money. Uh, I think it's mostly just getting off that contract. I don't think they're going to get, I don't think Bradley Beal has positive trade value right now. Okay. Um, let's uh, take a scenario where uh, the Sixers aren't going to pay near what Houston's going to pay. Uh, so they have to move on from Harden. What's the team look like at that point? No Beal, it's going to be, that's going to be unreal. Like yeah. what, what, the, what are we going to see next year? I mean, you'll probably win 48 games because Joel Embiid's good enough that in the regular season you're going to win, you know, 45 to 50 games almost irrespective of the talent he has around him. Uh, but you're not a contender, for sure. What you're hoping is either Maxi takes a massive jump or you can find a trade partner with Tobias because Tobias right now, he doesn't have positive trade value as a player, but he does as a contract and he can be used as a salary matcher. So you add maybe Tobias along with Tyrese Maxi if the right opportunity comes around. And maybe that's how you build your core around Joel Embiid. So you, you you basically retain a little bit, or at least a little bit of flexibility you still have left as an organization to hopefully make the right move. But you have to rely on somebody else becoming available uh, or Tyrese Maxey making a massive jump. It's not a, it's like I said, none of these are necessarily great options. I don't think the Sixers have a great option left in front of them. Uh, that great option sort of went out the window when they, you know, passed on Jason Tatum, which they didn't remember. Anyway, um, when they, Ben Simmons didn't work out. All those great op, you know, great avenues went out the window. You're left trying to pick out the best of the bad or not great. How, how does, does the Sixers fan base react to a so-called gap gear? I don't think the Sixers fan base is going to react well anyway. Like if they bring back Harden back, I don't think many Sixers fans are going to be thinking we're a title contender, not after what they saw in game six and seven. If they trade for Bradley Beal, it might give a little jolt of energy, but I think when they see them play, they'll realize this isn't quite a, a championship contender. And if they let Harden walk, I don't think they're going to say it's a championship. So I don't really think they can fix that per se. I think fans are going to be, this probably isn't the right thing to say for somebody who's trying to sell a subscription newsletter. I think fans are going to be pretty out on the Sixers at the start of the season, almost no matter what. Uh, I think their long-term strategy, especially with Joel Embiid and keeping them happy, is you can't make a crippling trade. Uh, and I think that is a, um, you know, something that's real easy to fall into a trap right now. Uh, I, I'm, I, I, uh, listen, I, this sixer thing is just, uh, it's annoying. It's very annoying. <laughs> like, it's, 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 it's just annoying and it goes on and on and you, you really can't do anything. And people say blow it up and they don't really know what they're talking about, but you can't blow it up, but you're, you're still in this kind of a limbo here, which is going to be very weird next year. Uh, tell me what do you think is going to happen around the league? The, the Kyrie thing, the Damian Lillard thing, what, what are you foreseeing here? Uh, the changes in the NBA going into next year? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, I would love to say that I could predict Kyrie, but I don't think anyone can predict what Kyrie wants or what other teams want or, you know, from him. Um, you know, I think Dame ultimately is going to stay. Uh, I think I've, every year I've been thinking, all right, this is the year Dame finally asks out and he leaves cryptic tweets and cryptic Instagrams and he never actually goes all the way. Uh, and I think he's, he's loyal to a fault. So I think he's going to end up staying, um, but that's just sort of, based off of his previous track record. You know, I think this is going to be a year where a lot of people are going to be panicking, like I said, because of that double apron. And the restrictions on that, once you get over 
it's the line is $17.5 million over the luxury tax. The restrictions are so severe. Like you can't aggregate salary and trades. You can't, um, you know, sign, you lose your mid-level completely. You're basically restricted to keeping the players you have already on the roster or making trades that decrease your salary. And that's very, very restricting. And even teams, you know, like the Bucks trying to keep three high paid players on their roster is going to be very tough. So I think it's going to be hectic because a lot of teams, I think, are going to start trying to prepare for that new reality, which is going to trickle in here over the next couple of years with the new CBA. Um, so in terms of those two players, like I said, I think Dame stays. Uh, Kyrie, I have no idea because I don't think anybody really has an idea with Kyrie. Um, but more, more than that, it's, it's how our team going to, you know, sort of look at these middle tier free agents. The guys like Tobias Harris in the previous contracts. How are they going to value them and how are they going to move, shuffle them around so they can position themselves for that new apron? So Dame Lillard is not going to Miami. I, I don't think so, but you know, I obviously don't have like a super close source to Dame Lillard. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to read the tea leaves here. Uh-huh. Uh, but I also don't know, like, unless he absolutely said like, I only want to go to Miami. I don't think they have enough positive trade value to trade for him anyway. All right. Stay with Miami. One quick question. Jimmy Butler, hall of famer or not? I think so. Uh, with what he's, he's done, a Hall of Famer. Yeah, with I mean, you make two two NBA Finals runs. I think if you look at his stats regular season, probably not. But the continued success, um, mm. in, you know, being a very good player in a regular season and a great postseason player, even without the ring, I think he probably does make it. Yeah, interesting. Uh, we'll see if that happens. The last question is about Nick Nurse. What do you think uh, the, his impact will be to make this team better than what they were under Doc if the same team comes back? Yeah, it's a great question. Because on the one hand, when you watch Toronto play these last few years, they didn't play the most aesthetically pleasing brand of basketball offensively. A lot of ISO, not a lot of ball movement. I think a lot of that comes down to player personnel. They had a lot of really big athletic forwards who could create their own shot but weren't great passers. Um, But when you start looking back over his previous teams, uh, they really like to push the pace. They really like to, you know, create threes, off-ball movement. It'll be interesting to see how that works with James Harden if he is brought back. but defensively, I think, is where it's going to be the most interesting because his brand of defense in Toronto, very active, uh, a lot of movement on the perimeter, very aggressive in trapping. Uh, and that won't, you know, you I can't envision George Niang trying to run around like a madman in that scheme. Uh, you have a much more traditional scheme with Embiid being a drop center. Um, you know, I think he will get them playing really good defense. And I think they, he will get them shooting more threes, which some people will like, some people will not. Um but it all comes down to how does he, you know, how does he make that Embiid Harden two man game work if they are brought back? I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how his personality, because he has gotten on players both in the media and in private for their defensive effort, and that's not really something James Harden pays a lot of attention to. Um, so I'm very interested to see how that works. Should be a, a very interesting season. Derek Bonner joining us today at DailySix.com. How can people get your newsletter? Uh, DailySix.com, or just follow me on Twitter at Derek Bodner NBA. Thanks, Doug. We appreciate it. Good stuff. Yep. Thank you. It's the Mike Mussinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All righty. It is time now. And uh, thanks so much to uh, Derek Bodner for, for hopping on uh, with the Sixers insights. Uh, Mike Unleashed coming at you right now. Mike Unleashed is going to go all over the place again, like we normally do. But let's start with golf. Let's start with the uh, U.S. Open. And, uh, What's going on with the U.S. Open? Uh, we've got a lot of interesting pairings today. you got PGA members with live members, which is always interesting. The uh, U.S. Open is at L.A. Country Club. I'll give you a little insight here, Darren, on L.A. Country Club. Uh, 
you know, the golf course I play at is White Marsh Valley. That was designed oh, about 110 years ago by a man named George C. Thomas, whose family had a rose um, operation. Uh, these vast fields growing roses in Flower Town, PA. He got bored with the business, decided to go into golf course architecture because he knew about landscape and he designed White Marsh Valley. It was so successful uh, that he was commissioned to go to L.A. to design L.A. Country Club and Riviera. So one of the things you'll see in this golf tournament is the shortest and longest par threes you will ever see. For instance, in the course I play, there's a 250-yard par three. They'll play, play about a 300-yard par three. And they also will play a 100-yard par three. So you got to make shots. It's going to be a very interesting and difficult course for them because the signature is to surround greens with, tra- with uh, bunkers. And uh, you got to make shots uh, on this kind of course. Um, so let's look at the odds right now. And again, uh, I advise to, to, to bet some guys that you think are going to be in the money. Not necessarily win. I mean, I can't tell who could win on this tour anymore. Anybody can win from week to week. So the favorite is John Rama plus 700. You want to put a shekel on that? That's a good payday uh, at, at plus 700. $100 gets you 700 bucks if you think he's going to win. I would go with the uh, win place terms. So one, two, one through five is what I play John Rahm. Now, I'm not going to uh, win a ton of money with that. But let's see. Let's just see what that would, would bring me on a $100 wager. That would bring you $975. So that's still a pretty good payout, right? All right, so let's go with uh, let's go back with some more odds. Scotty Scheffler plus 900. Rahm has become the favorite over Scheffler. I bet Scheffler earlier today when he was the favorite. He's now plus 900. Brooks Kepka. I threw a little on him for a top 5 finish. At plus 1100. Rory's plus 1,400, Xander Shoffley, 1,400, and I threw a few shekels on Victor Hovland to finish in the top five at plus 1,600. Patrick Cantlay is plus 1,600. Jordan Spieth is plus 2,200. Darren's man, Max Homa, who played on LA Country Club many times. He's about 60, lives about, so grew up 16 miles away. Plus 2,800. You like that? Yeah, I do like that. I think Max will play strong today. He knows like that Max? Course. That's it. It's home, cuz. That's home. Okay, so Max top five. Uh, and I threw some shit. I get Kyle Moore cows in the same uh, boat. He he grew up close to that, that area. Uh, so I threw something on Kyle Moore and he's plus 4,000. So that's a pretty big payday. So look at those. You, you, yeah, you pick a winner, you get a big payoff. But if you pick the top five, you don't have to sweat it. Because, you know, you see guys come down the stretch and your guy's in contention, and all of a sudden he makes seven, and you're out. So, but if he's a top five, then you're still going to cash your ticket. All right. So uh, check out that on the Bet Rivers app, some great uh, parlays. And so, you, you know, it's funny. You can bet uh, on various foursomes, one guy versus another guy. Uh, there's really some, uh, a lot of creative bets uh, on the U.S. Open that you can use here if you know the pairings. Okay. Um, uh, number two on Mike Unleashed, Peter Laviolette got the Rangers job. Now, uh, I like Peter Laviolette a lot, but I, I have never seen a league so eco-friendly as the NHL. They recycle coaches like nobody's been. I mean, this is like his seventh job as a head job, right? They just go from one city to the next, and, and they bring him in, and then they burn out, and they get rid of him. The NHL is the weirdest league ever, professional league, for hiring coaches. But Laviolette gets a job. I liked it when he was here. In fact, I have to tell you a Peter Laviolette story. 
uh, he took this city by storm because he was an aggressive guy. Uh, let's play. We got to play with some jam out there, right? In fact, I have a, a T-shirt that I'm going to show Darren right now. You can't see because this is audio only. Hold on. All right. This is the T-shirt that they had circulated back in the day. As you can see, time, time, it says time for some, time time for for some, some jam. jam with Laviolette pointing his angry finger. So I have a bunch of T-shirts that I've kept for souvenirs that have never been worn. And I got me one of these. It's a classic time for some jam Peter Laviolette T-shirt. So, of course, Laviolette was popular. Now, they made a good Stanley uh, a playoff run. That got him popular. And then next year wasn't so good. Uh, but he was still a very entertaining guy. We would have him on the show a lot because we had the Flyers rights and we had the games on uh, on the Fanatic. And so they come up with an idea of having the Peter Laviolette show. Uh, every Monday at Ponzio's in uh, Cherry Hill, right? So I stayed on an extra hour from 6 to 7 to host the Peter Laviolette show. Well, we did one show. The Flyers lost three straight that year, and the impetuous owner, Ed Snyder, fired them after three games. Peter Laviolette show lasted one show from Ponzio's. And I remember I had a hamburger deluxe. It was my last meal. <laughs> I actually have a Peter Laviolette story that's not so nice or fun or funny. It was at 06. They lost to the Blackhawks in the Stanley Cup Finals. When Patrick Kane hits the goal under, under Leighton. And uh, I'm down in the, uh, the belly of the, of the Wells Fargo Center. And, I, and Laviolette's like five feet from me. And I'm stand, just standing there waiting for a friend of mine. And uh, his wife and kids come up to him. And it was like the, the we're so sorry, we love you. Like that first meeting after they lost to Stanley, it was really like an emotional moment for his family as they're wheeling the Stanley Cup past him in a case. And, and they all just kind of glance over and look at it slowly. And I just, I witnessed this whole like awkward awkward exchange between his wife and his kids and his emotional moment. We're so sorry for you. And there's the cup that you lost as it goes right by you. I felt yeah, so well, bad. Listen, for he was one of those classic hockey coaches who demands uh, and gets on players and you know, really pushes the pedal on them. And then you, in the NHL, I guess that gets tiring. I don't know. Cause it happens to so many of these guys that are like that. Tortorella is probably the next that's going to happen to, uh, but uh, all right. So Laviolette coaches, the Rangers, so, uh, that'll be, that'll be good for the, for the Flyers and the rivalry, I guess. Congratulations to him. All right, let's talk about uh, some more little baseball uh, issue. I was watching the uh, Mets and the Yankees last night, the Subway Series. People are going crazy for the Subway Series. Brandon Nimmo makes a bonehead base running play. He gets thrown out of the second base, which cost the, the – they had tied the game. But that, that could have been the go-ahead run. And then he, uh, he hits the game-winning uh, a blow to the fence in the 10th inning to win it. But uh, uh, first game of that series – uh, relief pitcher named Drew Smith came in from the bullpen. The umpires check his hands. They were sticky. They throw him out. They throw him out of the game. Before he throws a pitch, before he gets to the mound, the warm-up is throws it, it's sticky. He's claiming it's rosin and, and sweat. Um, Scherzer claimed the, the, the same thing. So he got a 10-game suspension, just like Scherzer got a 10-game suspension. You know, I, I, baseball players are really interesting because they'll find any way to cheat the system. They, they really will. So I guarantee you, this guy goes, they're not going to check me as I come in. 
Like, so let me load up and get all sticky. <laughs> There's no way that both his hands can be that sticky with just rosin and sweat. It just can't happen. So uh, there, he's putting something on his hands and thinking he's going to get away with it. So uh, they're wise to that, people. They, they don't want that anymore. They're checking you. So, Drew, that was really stupid. It cost your team a 10-game suspension. Uh, all right. Uh, let me move on to uh, not, not something that's pol- it's, it's political, but it's going to turn into something fun. All right, so Trump got indicted, and uh, he's forlorn, and he's got this valet who's hanging around him. Also got indicted. The guy's name's Walt Nauta. Uh, and so this guy's an ex-Marine, and he's a Trump sycophant, and he valets him all around, and he's with him all the time. Now, I'm looking at this guy, and I'm going, dude, uh, uh, do you know the reality of this situation here? Trump may get pardoned for this. You ain't. You're going to the slam and you're getting three square meals a day because he'll throw you under the bus just as soon as look at you. And it reminded me of Nathan R. Jessup in A Few Good Men throwing Dawson and Downey under the bus. He orders the code red, then he runs from it, right? So those guys go want to go down for it. So then I started to think about a, a, a few good men. And I'm going, uh, wow, you know, that's a movie that... Uh, it's it's one of the like five movies I can list that I always check in on when it's on. I always go if it's on, I go to it. I always watch it. I've seen it a hundred times. I know every line. I know it's going to happen. But it draws me to the TV screen every single time. Um, so uh, I I started to to think about my top five movies that I never get tired of checking back in on, even though I've seen them a million times. And here's how I list them. Few Good Men is number one, believe it or not. I don't know what it is. It just lures me back. Godfather's two. Goodfellas is three. Shawshank Redemption is four. And Roadhouse is five. These five movies are all, I see them on the guide. I go, boom, I'm in. And I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. It's some kind of a mental thing. Darren, do you have five that you can say? I do. We talked about we talk about Moneyball a lot. I'm not going to say that's one of my five, but I always Moneyball gets better every time I watch it. Uh, I definitely, if anybody knows me for eight minutes, you know that Midnight Run is my favorite movie. It's probably the number oh, one. Oh, forgot about that one. Yeah, you I know, mean, I, I, that should be on my list. I I apologize. I, I got to put I got to put that on. Probably I'll probably take Shawshank out, put Midnight Run in. There you go. So Midnight Run is right there. Beverly Hills Cop, one or two. I love them both. Pretty good. That's pretty good as well. Uh, Jaws is my all-time favorite movie, especially in the summertime. It's on, it's on my uh, TV in my house once a week in the summer, whether here or down ashore. Um, there's my dog commenting on that. Uh, Johnny Dangerously, Mike. Love Johnny Dangerously. Michael Keaton's hilarious in it. There's so many lines, you fucking... Yeah, I actually like that, too. Hostage. That's uh, a great movie. Yeah. Uh, and she has Stripes. I still watch Stripes whenever it's on. I check in on Okay. All right. That's pretty good. Uh, so, so that got me thinking. But back to good men, uh, for a few good men. There is a baseball sequence in A Few Good Men, two baseball scenes, in fact, where Daniel Caffey's in his apartment and he's uh, wielding his bat that he carries around. And there's two particular games that are on the television. One is the Baltimore Orioles and the Minnesota Twins. And in that broadcast, Randy Milligan, who was a slow-footed, power-hitting first baseman, gets a big hit in the game and that's the Orioles broadcast the second one is the Braves and the Padres where um Justice David Justice hits a grand slam and the announcer says in the background you can hear it the announcer says 
and this game is tied, and I don't believe it. All right, that's the line that comes out of TV. The line is uttered by the Padres play-by-play announcer, Jerry Coleman. Now, what is wrong with that picture? See, only a demented mind like me would pick this up. Jerry Coleman, the Padres announcer, announces the Justice Grand Slam on the television as Justice hits the, hits the home run, and he says, and it's, a, and it's a tie game, and I can't believe it. He's the radio announcer. No, uh, he's the television announcer for the Padres. Okay, I thought he was the regular. I don't know. Give but me. why would he not be the announcer on the television? Where's Daniel Caffey? Uh, he's in, he's in uh, D.C. He's in Washington, D.C. Right. So that would be the Padres telecast, which he would not have access to. There was no MLB package back then. He had to be watching the game on TBS, the Superstation. The Atlanta Braves, every game was on TBS, if you recall. I remember. So it would not have been Jerry Coleman announcing that game. It would have been a Braves announcer. How about that call? How about that pickup? Uh, you're sick. <laughs> <laughs> you are sick. All right, and so that ends Mike Unleashed for today. It's the Mike Mussinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All righty, it's time for three questions from Mikey Miss. We uh, did not do this Tuesday, so we're catching up on three questions from Mikey Miss. Darren gives me three questions that I have not heard that I have to give spontaneous answers to. Sometimes uh, I can recall like right away. Sometimes I'm stumped. But uh, go ahead, Darren. Three questions from Mikey Miss. Mike, doing a lot of baseball talk. Um, I love baseball announcers. There was a show called Brockmire that I thought was hysterical uh, about those old-timey baseball announcers. Who was your favorite? What is your the Mikey Miss number one baseball announcer, radio or TV, of all time? Uh, uh, first of all, I thought Brockmire sucked. Oh, you're uh, crazy. And, and, and also, and then, you know, it's funny because a lot of people like that. I had this discussion with Jason Stark. I, I didn't think there was anything good about Brockmart, nor do I think there's anything good about that dumbass uh, uh, Danny McBride thing. What, what was that I'm called? That. Downtown. Uh, Eastbound, and and down. Eastbound and down. I Eastbound didn't like that. Eastbound and down was horrendous, along with Brockmart. My favorite announcer. I mean, it's only one guy who could be the favorite announcer. That was in Major League. Is Bob Euchre. Great answer. With, with all... With all with all his in the booth, and uh, uh, and also like uh, there, there's a, a, a honorable mention the guy from Bull Durham, the country guy. I don't know, but it, it, the worst Durham team I've seen in in in, in decades. And, and then he, t- <laughs> he turns to his color man, and goes, "Well, been pretty good today, eh, Whitey?" Uh huh. It's all about fictional. That's <laughs> what the guy. Said. Oh, I so thought it was. Fi- I think you were giving me fictional. I disrespected Vince Scully a little bit, but we'll move on. All right, number oh, two, I, I, Mike I, Sunday's I father. Chip Carey was pretty good. Not Chip. No, the old I man. said no. Real the baseball man. Uh, ha- no, no, no. Uh, give me your no, actual ha- baseball ha- announcer of all time. No, I'm thinking of the guy who did the Atlanta Braves for a long time. <laughs> well, I guess that was Chip. Yeah, that uh, was Harry Carey's first son. Harry Chip Carey. was the grandson. So whoever that carry was, I can't, I can't oh. remember. But I used to because the Braves games were on a lot of TBS, so I was, you know I got used to him. He was pretty good, I thought. Sorry. Right. You know, I haven't heard Vince Scully. One of those I, 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 Well, no, I, but I never really listened to. Like, where would I have listened to Once Vince again, Scully? Once again, completely disrespecting Vince Scully, but okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I never listened to Dodgers games. So I, and I know he's legendary and all that. And he had the calming, soothing effect. But 
I never oh, really. I listen uh, to them all the time on satellite radio. I used to uh, listen to the Dodger games at night. Okay. Uh, Sunday's Father's Day. Question number two. Mike, I get approached by a lot of young producers, a lot of young people that want to be in podcasts all the time. I want you to be a father and give advice. Pretend you have a son or a daughter who's young, trying to get into radio, podcasting, writing, anything in the sports broadcasting ilk. Give him the one piece of advice that you, over anything else. Do not be afraid to work. Like, like here's the thing. I, you know, I would love to gift wrap the, a job for anybody who wants to get in this business. If I had the power to do that, I would do it. But I always tell people, you've got to do almost everything now. You've got to, even if it's you, you get on a podcast, you create your own podcast, or you 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 block for for a, a small uh, uh, website, whatever it is, you got to be able. You got to have lasting power. You got to have stamina to hang in there and work as hard as you can. And I always thought, well, you work as hard as you can, and you're insightful, and you're good. People, some people notice people that are higher than you notice. They'll give you an opportunity. But most young kids don't want to put in that kind of effort to get where they want to go. And uh, listen, I I was different. I had to put in that kind of effort. I had to schlep on sidelines of field hockey games when I first started for small town newspapers. Uh, And it's the same thing today, although it's in an electronic mode. So you got to just hang in there and and commit to yourself. You're not going to make any money. And and you hang in there and hang in there. It's, It's like the story of uh you know the guy that covers the sixers that we had on from the philly voice i thought he does a fantastic job kyle newbeck yeah and kyle took that kind of road where he you know took little money and and even if you take no money just to get noticed you gotta hang in there this business is tough to get in if you don't have the stamina you're not going to do it and there's a lot of guys that didn't want to uh, go through that and they decided they want to make more money and, and, and that's all and that's god you know if you want to do that that's fine as well i'm just telling you it's a longer road here to get somewhere where you want to go the money is decreasing in this industry you see all the people getting laid off uh so uh just hang in there that's the advice i would give them hang in there and and work your butt off and get noticed by people that's good advice real good advice okay question number three mike summertime try to incorporate a summer question in with every three questions Mike, give me one beach. You get one beach anywhere on this planet. One beach for the rest of your life. Where is it? What is it? Uh, any Caribbean beach. <laughs> really, I hate to be general like that. I mean, I love Turk and Caicos. I love the Bahamas. I love any tropical island where you got white sand and blue water. I'm good. And, you know, listen, I want to go to Croatia. I want to go to those beaches out there. That'd be my next step. I hope I can get there one day. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, if you got a Caribbean beach, you've won the game. Can't argue with that. That's three questions. All righty. So let's uh, let's close it down and uh, tell you that this podcast is brought to us by Bet Rivers. Thanks to the people of Bet Rivers uh, for hanging here with us. And it's real easy to get this podcast. Now we've done 89 of them now. So you can get any episode you want by uh, just going to the Mike Misnelli podcast and subscribing for free. It'll come right to your box. Just Google my name, Mike Misnelli podcast. It'll pop up. It's on Apple iTunes, it's on Spotify, it's on Google, it's on any podcast network, and you just pop it up, you subscribe, and when you pop it up, you can listen to any one of our 89 podcasts. We've had some great guests on the podcast. You want to catch up? Please do, and tell your friends. Um, 
Let me also give a shout out to my people at, at Natural Lawn, NaturalLawn.com, Natural Lawn of America. Uh, if you've got a lawn that you don't want to take care of, let them take care of it. All organic materials to, for your lawn, including mosquito protection, which is really key for the summer. I've been using them for a lot of years. I love them. Uh, also, I haven't given you uh, my uh, the, the, the cameo alert. You know, I'll give you a personalized shout out. You know, the prices vary, right? Cameo sets the prices. But if you go to Cameo.com, put my name in there, I will give you a personal shout out for your birthday, uh, a graduation, a pep talk, whatever you need. I'll give you a personal shout out. And I'm, let me tell you, I spill my bucket. You know, at least celebrities give you 30 seconds. I get, I, I give you a minute and a half. I, I you know, I get into you. I, I get into your background. I, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, I show interest in your life. So uh, if you have a you know, mind to do that, uh, you got Father's Day coming up. Let me maybe give your pop a Father's Day shout out if he was, if he was a listener and is a listener to this podcast. Uh, also, you can reach me uh, on Twitter, MikeMiss25, uh, on email, uh, Mike at MikeMiss.com. That's my website, MikeMiss.com. And I, I want you to pay attention to the website. Get to the website because we're going to be uh, cementing plans for uh, uh, swag giveaways. That's right. And I think the way we're going to do it is we'll finalize it. And, we'll, and I'll give you more details on it next week is we're going to recreate the old sound off sound off. You used to call the radio show and leave a message. Well, this sound off, you're going to have to leave me an email and the best emails when sound off on this version of sound off on the website, mikemiss.com or my email. When you send me an email, Mike at mikemiss.com. We are going to give you some fantastic swag, that hats that have the Mike Missnelli podcast logo, golf shirts, T-shirts, quarter zips. It's coming uh, in a hurry to us. So uh, here's what you do. You go to my Friday video blog on my website, MikeMiss.com. I do a blog, a video blog every Friday uh, where we talk about the various subjects that we talk about during the week and other things. And uh, we'll give you the details on what's going to happen. Uh, for the swag giveaway, which I'm really excited about. Darren, you have I uh, gave you some swag yesterday. Uh, it's an A-plus pr- product, isn't it? Quality products, uh, Nike dry fit stuff, all good, all good stuff. All right, sounds good. Everybody have a great weekend and uh, enjoy yourself for the rest of the day. It's a beautiful day after that rain. We needed the rain. Uh, but if you're going to the shore this weekend for Father's Day, have fun down there. Have fun with the family for Father's Day. And uh, uh, I'm Mike Masnelli. Uh saying so long until next night next tuesday we'll check you out don't forget look at my friday video blog on mikemiss.com we'll see you thanks for listening to the mike miss podcast on the bet rivers network